Good morning, Storyline. It's so good to be able to share with you today. I can't wait to be back together in person. So last Sunday was Super Bowl Sunday, and many of you noticed that for the first time in many years, we didn't do our annual commercial Sunday. It has become a cherished tradition for us, but it was just too difficult for us to pull off online. But next year, when Tom Brady goes for number eight, we'll certainly get back to it. If you watch the Super Bowl, then you know that this year that the commercials really were the best part. And that's saying more about the game than it is about the commercials. But one in particular really touched on a theme that uh, we've been talking about quite a bit lately together. As we've considered the invitations of Jesus to include outsiders and seek those who are different from us, care for the poor and the oppressed, and to keep the gospel of grace, which is the main thing, the main thing. And that includes loving even our enemies. So it was very encouraging to me when so many of you texted and emailed and sent me a link to this Super Bowl commercial because you all thought it echoed these themes. There's a chapel in Kansas standing on the exact center of the lower 48. It never closes. All are more than welcome to come meet here in the middle. It's no secret, the middle has been a hard place to get to lately, between red and blue, between servant and citizen, between our freedom and our fear. Now fear has never been the best of who we are. And as for freedom, it's not the property of just the fortunate few. It belongs to us all. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, it's what connects us. And we need that connection. We need the middle. We just have to remember the very soil we stand on is common ground so we can get there we can make it to the mountaintop through the desert and we will cross this divide our light has always found its way through the darkness and there's hope on the road up ahead Now, I won't lie, I got teary when that commercial aired. I, I love the message of it, the hope in it, and the acknowledgement of how different it is to meet in the middle, how difficult it is to meet in the middle, and yet how absolutely necessary it is to do so. And not just for our nation, but specific, specifically because the gospel of God's grace should inspire us and empower us to be a people who cultivate this middle place, a community with a core conviction of love will be one of compassion and inclusion and mutual respect. This means storylines should be a safe place where we can belong before we believe, no matter what we believe, where we can bring our real selves and our real lives into community with other real people. 
baggage in tow, hearts on our sleeve, doubts and all, beat up, battered, and bedraggled by life, and still be accepted as we are, forgiven before we ask, and loved at our worst. For storyline, to be a community of grace, these things must be true for us and about us, about who we are, how we are, what we do, and what we don't. This morning, I'd like to reflect on a very specific invitation of Jesus that begins this journey toward being that kind of person and that kind of community. It's an invitation into a way of thinking, of framing life, approaching faith, and relating to one another that in this era of division and closed minds, of self-righteousness and fear, of alarmism and hate, can, I believe, help us embrace and embody the refreshing, magnetic, inexplicable, countercultural, and transformative beauty of the love and grace of God. Not long ago, someone made the mistake of asking me what I thought about something political. And then they also threw in there, and I'm also curious about my, you know, who do you trust for information? And when I was done, they noticed that I never answered their political question, but I did have something to say about who I trust. And I'll share that with you. This is what I told my friend. I don't trust people who've never been wrong. Anyone who thinks they know all that there is to know, like they get it and those who disagree don't, is not someone I tend to trust. Now that doesn't mean that they have nothing good or valuable to offer. It just means if someone doesn't have the perspective to realize, or even worse, the humility to admit they've been wrong before and could be right now, well, that's not someone I would inherently trust. And I'll tell you why I struggle to trust people who think they know it all. And no, it's not just because we don't like in others what is true in ourselves. It's also because for the last 25 years, I've been surrounded by this know-it-all attitude. And no, I'm not just talking about my wife. In fact, I'm not talking about her at all. I'm talking about the high school students I teach. Now, I love them. I really do. And for as long as I can remember, I've wanted to be a teacher because I thoroughly enjoy being around kids. I look forward to going to school every day. Almost. Now, that being said, it's irritating to have a 17-year-old roll their eyes at me when I ask, are you sure you want to bring that big bag of snow into the school? That actually happened this week. Or, hey man, that lovely young lady just said hello to you and you ignored her. That happens almost every day. Which is why I often, on behalf of all high school boys, apologize to all high school girls for, well, everything they have to put up with. The point is, somewhere around 16, teenagers suddenly know everything about everything. And of course, we cut them a break on this because we were all 16, and we know this is just their clumsy and annoying attempt to prove themselves. But somewhere along the line, we must grow up. And that means dropping the need to prove ourselves and picking up the challenge to improve ourselves, which is exactly what this invitation of Jesus is about, and which is why it begins with recognizing we don't know it all, and it requires humility, which, by the way, is not this invitation to like low self-esteem, 
The root of the word humility actually means of the earth. To be humble is to be grounded. I love that. There's a name for this invitation, this attitude towards life, this stance toward ourselves, this kind of mature groundedness. Now, it's common to believe that Jesus begins his invitation to us with believing, but he doesn't. He begins with repentance. Now, I know this is an old-time religious word, but just hold on and give me a minute. (laughs) To a large extent, my role in storyline is to encourage all of us, myself very much included, to repent. And that goes for those of us who believe, for those of us who don't know what we believe, and for those of us who do know that we don't believe. Because this invitation to repent is the beginning of everything new and anything good. It always starts with repentance. Because repentance means to stop, turn around, think again. Now, I know we hear this word repent and we think of like angry street preachers screaming at us with their eyes full of hatred for us to just stop being evil. But that isn't how Jesus talked about repentance. We have to picture Jesus with love in his eyes, warmly saying, hey, let's think about this again. Like just what it is that you think this, like all of this is about. Repentance is a letting go, this great undoing. It's an ongoing and humble rethinking. The willingness to do that in the light of God's love in the embrace of God's grace makes repentance, rethinking, changing our minds, switching from prove myself to improve myself mode, not just doable, but actually desirable. Not something we've got to do, but something we get to do. And the consequences of accepting or denying this invitation couldn't be higher. Last week, I read this incredibly tragic account of some firefighters who parachuted in to Man Gulch, Montana, into a wildfire. This happened in 1949, and they're actually called smoke jumpers. And they ended up getting caught in the middle of this sudden rush of flames that was coming up from a a gulch at them, up the hill. And their leader ordered them to drop their equipment Okay, everything that they bring into a fire that they trust in, he ordered them to drop their equipment and to run back up the hill to this ridge. Most of them refused to do so and died holding on to their equipment. What they assumed would save them when really it was only weighing them down. The few that did let go and turn around, who stopped, to rethink things, made it far enough back up this hill with the wind and the flames still at their back to watch their foreman, Wagner Dodge, do the last thing they expected. He took out matches and started a fire. It burst into flames and started roaring up this hill toward the ridge that they needed to go to. Nothing in their training taught the smoke jumpers to do anything like this. So what happened next was described by the survivors as a miracle. You see, the fire Dodge started 
spread up the hill in front of them. And in doing so, it burned up all the fuel, creating this path to safety. Later, he said, sometimes you have to make the choice to burn it down or burn up. That's a pretty good picture of repentance. Now, it's rarely this dramatic in our lives, but the consequences can be if we fail to let go of the things, the thoughts, the assumptions and beliefs we think will save us, but are really only weighing us down. In the light of God's love, in the embrace of His grace, repentance, stopping, being truly open to changing our minds and changing direction is actually a great, great gift, but one that often proves difficult to accept. A less dramatic example of this, and one that for me hits close to home, occurs when um, Jesus encounters a man that the Bible describes as a rich young ruler. This is what the Bible says. As Jesus went out into the street, a man came running up, greeted him with great reverence, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. He said, Teacher, I have from my youth kept them all. Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him. And he said, There's one thing left. Go, sell whatever you own, and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth. And come, follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. It's a great story. The life of faith in the grace of God begins with a great letting go. This is repentance. Letting go of the need to be right. Letting go of our unwillingness to re-examine our beliefs and assumptions. You know, all the equipment that we carry with us into the battle of life. It's hard to let go and turn around. When someone does, it's actually pretty remarkable. This week, I got a remarkable invitation from my friend Connie. She got in touch with me to invite me to a group that she's starting and it reminded me of this so much. You know, check out this text that she sent me. I'm setting up a Zoom call with about a dozen people on it. My thought is the country's so divided. Social media algorithms are designed to feed you more and more of what you prefer, already believe. So we each get more and more entrenched in our own perspectives. If we don't start seeking to understand the people around us, how can the country as a whole have any chance of being united? The goal would be to listen and to understand the other person and understand yourself. What I'm picturing is not an argument or a debate. We would pick up one top, we'd pick one topic or person or event and ask each person to explain how they see it. The goal is not to change anyone's mind. The goal is to seek understanding. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Connie's group is remarkable. It's an invitation to try and understand, learn, grow, set aside the need to be right. It is a kind of repentance. 
How cool is that? I'm writing a talk this week about how living in and living out the grace of God can help us to cultivate this middle space, a, a community where we're safe to work out what we need to let go of, how we can change our mind, what we can change our mind about. And then Connie invites me to this group. I'm really looking forward to it, even though I know it's going to be hard to not debate or try to change someone else's mind. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be good. Why is this so hard? Have you ever wondered that? Like, why are we so quick to update our wardrobe, trade in our cars, upgrade our phones, and renovate our kitchens, but so slow, so hesitant to rethink what we think and believe? Isn't that interesting? I think that's a question really worth thinking about. Like, what are we afraid of? That's where we're headed next week. But to close today, I, wanna, I want us to see one last thing. What is the desire, the inspiration, the courage to repent? Where does that come from? Well, Jesus doesn't leave us in the lurch. Over and over again, his invitation to repent is followed up in the same breath with believe. Repent and believe or repent and follow me. Trust that God is already on your side, that grace and love is why the world exists and it's how life works best. His invitation is right in the middle of repenting. When we let go of what we thought would save us and turn around, we'll find him there.
You know, the real tragedy of the story about the smoke jumpers is not only that most of them died, it was that they died fighting a fire that never needed to be fought. We now know unless a wildfire poses danger to people or property, the best course of action is to let it run its course. So these men risked their lives and most lost them. Not just because they wouldn't rethink how to fight a fire, but because no one questioned their assumptions. No one stopped to rethink, to repent about what fires are worth fighting in the first place. This is the gift of repentance. Jesus is inviting us to do just that, to stop, to reassess, rethink, reprioritize, and maybe come to understand that many of the battles that we're in aren't even worth fighting. Beginning with the battle to be right, the battle to prove ourselves, or to cling to what we think and how we see things, closed off from any new understandings. Repentance is the first step toward faith because it's accepting the invitation to drop what's holding us back, what just may burn us up if we don't burn it down first. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. We pray for the opportunity to be together in person soon. God, we thank you for the ways that you are urging us, inspiring us, reminding us that we need to find common ground. We thank you for this community of storyline where we have such a diverse group of people and the way that we see life and faith and you. And I pray that you would continue to knit us together as one. God, I pray for our country. I pray that you would help, help us, uh, remind us that there is so much common ground for us to stand on. And God, I pray that as we look for that as a nation, that we'll be reminded that all of that is possible because of your grace. Thank you for the gift, the invitation to repent to stop, and to rethink. God, I pray that as we log off today, you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, folks. I hope to see you soon.